This is the Value Investor Podcast with Tracy Reinick. All things value, all the time. Welcome back, value investors. So I've been getting some questions recently about small cap and especially small cap value stocks, because in case you weren't noticing, they've been getting hammered recently. And uh, some of the small cap indexes like the Russell 2000 is now approaching its five-year lows, I think it was. One of them, maybe it's even the Russell, is was eyeing 20-year lows, I saw someone say. Um, I don't know if that was the S&P 600 or the Russell though, but either way, it's been very brutal for the small cap uh, indexes recently and they appear to be turning over and heading towards new bottoms. So I've been getting these questions like, should I sell this now? And it, you know, that's a common question when you have a sell-off that's this extreme where you're hitting multi-year lows. You get that even with individual stocks. When GE was selling off and going to new lows, I would be uh, getting questions on GE, especially from long-term shareholders. And people who own the small cap indexes usually are the long-term shareholders, right? We own it in like an IRA or even a 401k. And we're owning it because we're trying to be diverse in our portfolio. We don't want only the large caps, but we also, uh, as value investors, know that small cap value has been the best performing of the equity uh, classes, so to speak, um, for the last you know 7,500 years. It's been pretty brutal over the last at least decade in the small caps. Um, and so now people are starting to wonder, why am I in this? It's all I do is keep losing money. So I, I can recount from my own account. So I do own one of the small cap indexes in one of my IRAs. And I was in that IRA just recently. And I noticed that it was in the red for the, you know, amount of profit. And I've owned it, I want to say at least 10 years. And this is a little shocking, right? But I have not been dollar cost averaging into it. And I knew that the small caps were down. But when you see something like that, that you've owned a long time go into the red, you immediately think, I need to do something about this. And the first thing that stock investors think to do is, oh, I'm going to sell this and I'm going to go buy the large caps. <laughs> I'm going to go buy the QQQs or the S&P 500, right? Because that's what's been doing well. That's what rebounded this year. And the S&P 500 is up over 10% still, um, even though it's given back some of its recent gains too, but it's still in the double digits. So why wouldn't I go to the big caps? But I caution you because at these times when you think it, you can't take the pain anymore because that's what it is, right? It's pain, especially if you've seen it go down, down, down. Over the course of years, you you weren't like me and you didn't just sign on and see that it was suddenly in the red, but you've been following it down, you know, closely, consistently. That's even more painful, right? That's why I tend not to look at some of my long-term accounts because those are for another 10 or 20 years from now. So I just let it sit there. And so I don't have to worry about it. But 
if you're looking at it all the time, you definitely are worrying about those small caps right now. And so again, the emotions take over and it's when those emotions kick in is when you do something that you may may or may not, we don't know, regret later. But it's been my experience with these kind of multi-year bearish type markets where a certain type of stock or industry keeps going down and hits even new lows again, and it seems like it'll never come out of it, that we're getting near the bottom, right? So uh, when you get the biggest... Uh, emotional response to, I can't take it anymore. I'm getting out of this. It's terrible. And then you sell, sell out of it. That's usually when, uh, you know, more other people, you're not alone and others are throwing in the towel and a bottom usually is forming around that kind of behavior. So I've learned kind of well with myself. Occasionally, emotions still get the best of me as well, but I've learned to just kind of ignore when I feel that emotional pull of, oh, this pain, as long as I know it's not, you know, if it's an individual stock, I better be investigating what's going on at that company for it to be, you know, this much down in the dumps. But with an index, it's owning hundreds, maybe thousands of companies. So it's really a reflection of the overall market conditions. And um, that will change eventually and will go the other way eventually if you're a long-term investor. So I still believe in the small caps, especially small cap value. But um, it is very tough right now. So you got to just hang in, look around for buying opportunities and, um, you know, kind of try to ignore the emotional end of it. And, you know, again, just maybe not look at it. (laughs) That's always one thing you can do with the indexes. Now, you know, you should be watching your individual stocks, but with indexes, you might want to just kind of turn off that channel and wait it out. Now, what is the reason that the small caps are on the decline again? One of the reasons is the banks. So we did have a mini rally even just last week at the beginning of November in the banks. It was pretty uh, strong upside rally, a a relief rally because some of the banks were looking at multi-year lows on on themselves. And, uh, you know, even back to the March crisis and, uh, you know, going back a few banks were starting to eye the coronavirus lows. I'm on of the belief that we probably will see the banks go back to those coronavirus lows. That's just my thought. They're still very hated. They're very cheap right now, but the investors just don't want them. And I feel we're going to need another washout before we actually maybe get a bottom in there. But as I've talked about in prior podcasts on the banks, I've been thinking we were at a bottom numerous times in the last couple of years, and it still was not true. But it's usually really dark at the bottom of a a big sector bear. And we saw that in energy in 2020 when oil went negative, the energy stocks were completely obliterated in the um, coronavirus pandemic when that hit and that initial March sell-off. 
And so that was a washout of all of those stocks. And it it has turned out to be at least so far that that was the low in energy for its multi-year bear market. But uh, I thought maybe last spring with the banking crisis, that would be the washout in a lot of the banks. They did, you know, sink pretty dramatically again, but it, it maybe not. Maybe that wasn't the final washout. So we're still kind of on hold with the banks, but the banks make up a big percentage of the Russell 2000. I think it's about 20% still. And so when those banks weaken, it will bring down that overall index. And remember, you know, uh, 2000 stocks, that's a lot. There's a lot of different areas in the small cap index, but clearly, you know, if 20% of them are still sinking and now we have energy, there is some small cap energy in that index as well. And that's been sinking again, then you're just getting too much pressure to the downside. So I'm uh, keeping it on my radar though, the small cap indexes to maybe add to those positions. I continue to add on a monthly basis into like my 401k in the small caps. I'm not running away because that is the area I'll want to be in when we have, uh, you know, some kind of recovery off of the Fed's tightening. It's small cap companies that are very cheap right now, very good valuations. And that's where we're going to see, you know, a big boom and catalyst again, but we're not quite there yet. So on this show, I just wanted to mention about the small caps and I thought about screening for the small caps and I did run one of the screens that we have on the predefined screens for the small caps, but I didn't really um, dig deep into that list. So I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna cover the small caps right now that um, have the good rank and uh, style score and stuff like that. Uh, I'm gonna keep that for a later uh, podcast. Maybe if they go even cheaper here, it will be interesting to kind of see what's in that list. And maybe I'll do it for you know right around the New Year's episodes, so we can look at those cheap small caps heading into the New Year. But today I decided to run one of the free screens you can run on Zacks. And it's just under the basic screens that are on the screening tool on Zacks.com. And I don't know if I've ever run this one because it's on the basic one and it's it's basic, but it it works to give us some good quality, um, you know, cheap stocks. And the difference between this screen that I'm going to mention in a moment and one I've run many times for the podcast is that there's no Zach's rank on this one. The free one does not have the rank, but sometimes it's good to screen without the rank, especially during earnings season when it's changing all the time and just kind of see what, what are just the cheap stocks out there. Some of these will have a number five strong sell rank to them because there's no rank, but what, what are the dirt cheap ones? And so I decided to run this one that was just called Classic Value with Growth. So who doesn't like that? That's a rare combination to get both growth and value. Although I ran the screen and it turns out it's not that rare. (laughs) So running the screen, Classic Value with Growth. And what does that mean? It does give the five-year history EPS growth. 
Um, that's the historical EPS. And then it gives this year's estimated growth. And obviously we have the PE in there. Um, it also has a PEG ratio that would give us growth and value if it's under one, which this is screening for. Then on the value side, it's also looking for price to sales plus price to book. So that's the classic value metrics. But on the one I usually run that's, uh, you know, in the predefined screens, that classic value screen also has, um, let me think, price to book, price to sales. I think that one had the PEG, the PE, but that has the price to free cash flow in it as well. So, uh, you know, and then the rank and then it got rid of the growth. <laughs> Although it might have the growth. I'd have to go look at it again. Um, but that one is just much more classic value. But you tend to get some growth in there because I believe that one does have the peg in it as well. So you could use just the peg to try to get the growth component. But this screen that we're using today takes it a little bit further and gives us, you know, this year's estimated growth plus um, the five-year historical EPS growth. So those are all good components that will narrow down the list even more than the peg. But this kind of tells you running this that I'm getting 54 matches. That's a lot. That's way more than I thought. But that kind of tells you the, the sheer number of cheap stocks that are out there right now. And um, just looking at this list, it's of all different areas, really. And so I see some industrials. There are some banks. Um, there's some retailers. There's uh, some of the... Um, fintechs that I've been talking about. I don't see PayPal on here though. So maybe they got too expensive or they don't have the growth now. That's what's the interesting component is. It's one thing to be cheap, but it's another thing to have the growth aspect. So let's talk about a few stocks that are on here. Um, just looking at the list, Wells Fargo is on here. WFC is the ticker. That the, the growth isn't all that great. The five-year historical EPS growth is just 68 Five. This year's growth rate, though, estimated to be 66.7. So that's awesome. We know that the bank earnings have rebounded off of last year. That's why that number is so big. It's trading real cheap with a PE of 7.8. It does have the price to book of 0.9, and that is under one. And remember with the bank's you can look at the PE with banks too, but price to book is just a better indicator with the banks because, you know, the bank analysts always say buy at one, sell at two on the price to book ratio. And this one is even under one, which a lot of the banks are right now. So we're getting it even cheaper. Nobody really cares about the banks. I know um, <laughs> that's why they make all these lists, right? Uh, they're still dirt cheap, but as I mentioned earlier, it's because they're just still really hated. Nobody really wants to be in them, even with uh, the NIM rising and with these the earnings rising, which they are in Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo does have the dividend. It's yielding 3.4%. So that's not too shabby, but it's not among the highest I've seen with any of the banks. But this is one of the bigger banks, and it is one of the ones that has had maybe some of the most difficulty in the last, you know, five to 10 years, perhaps. But I thought we'd 
you know, talk about one that was maybe a little different than some of these other ones that we keep covering, like JP Morgan or even Bank of America. So that's Wells Fargo, WFC. There's a couple of home builders on here because they're cheap again, but they do have the rising earnings. This is the thing about the home builders. Everybody is once again waiting for them to collapse. So they have pulled back off their recent highs, but that's normal in the cycle of the home builders. They usually do retrace back some of their gains from earlier in the year during the fall into the winter before we get into the spring selling season because that's when we'll really know what these businesses are doing, right? That's the big hot season for the home builders. So in a couple of weeks, we're probably going to start to see some of the home builders perhaps ticking higher again on the hope trade. That's what it's called, you know, H-O-P-E in quotes, the hope trade, because the hope is that the spring is going to be better. Maybe those uh, mortgage rates are going to come back down, maybe back into the sixes would be nice for the spring buying season. And that will mean good news for the builders because the demand is still there right now. And they still, there's not enough inventory on existing homes to meet it. So the home builders still in control really of the housing market here and uh, new home sales have jumped from a historical amount around 5% of total home sales to close to 20% of total home sales right now because there's just simply not enough existing homes on the market. So a couple of the ones that have made the list, one of them is Toll Brothers. That's the luxury uh, builder ticker TOL. Five-year historical EPS growth is at 27%. This year's growth, though, only 1.5% because it is coming off of, you know, record year in 2022, and now it's adjusting to these higher rates where margins still remain high, but the sales volumes are lower, so earnings are lower. Um, so less growth, but it's still dirt cheap. PE of 6.6, peg ratio of just 0.7, price to sales of 0.8, and a price to book of 1.3. So all of those dirt cheap, classic value in the home builders. I own Toll Brothers in Zach's value investor portfolio. We bought it a couple months ago. So, um, you know, it's been kind of volatile since we bought in, but it is off the recent highs. And it does pay a dividend. Let me see. It's not among the highest in the industry by any means. But now that the shares have pulled back a little bit again, um, it's at 1.05%. So we'll call it 1.1% on the dividend. So you do get something. You get something for hanging out in it while we wait to see what's going to happen this spring. So that's the home builder that's on here. Um, there are a couple others, but let's go with the luxury, right? Why not? We got higher rates, 20% of their customers paying all cash. I'm liking all that. So we're going to go with um, the luxury. So toll, ticker T-O-L. Then a couple retailers who have already reported are on this list. So that's interesting to me because the rank isn't included in this. It's just cheapness. And one of the ones that I really like for this holiday season and into next year is Skechers, ticker SKX. 
I'm wearing some Skechers right now as I'm recording this, actually. And these are um, the Martha Stewart line. I bought a pair of tennis shoes from that line. You know, she's one. Of, they have a lot of celebrities in various of their different lines, their, their collections. They usually have some like very hot fashion designer type people designing their own shoe lines as well. But Martha is just like, you know, the brand representative on these particular shoes. And they're, they are very comfortable, I have to admit. So um, I've mentioned before, I recently bought a whole bunch of shares of Skechers uh, or shoes of Skechers. I haven't bought the shares, but the shares remain cheap. So five-year historical EPS growth is now 13.5%, but this year's growth expected to be 44%. They're killing it. And this is global. Skechers is global and still doing well, even in Asia right now. Um, And that's always been kind of the iffy area. China has been a little iffy with the consumer over there, but the consumer is buying the Skechers over in China right now. So not too bad there. So I'm liking all of this. How cheap is it? PE is at 14.7. So this PE is looking at, um, you know, under 20 or it looks like it's under 15 probably. So uh, just barely made it. But the peg ratio is just 0.5. I'm loving that. And price to sales is 0.98. So anything under one means that it is undervalued. So it's hanging out right around one. But, um, you know, given that earnings growth, I'm liking everything on both the classic value with the growth with Skechers. And they are are, uh, you know, going to be an interesting play this holiday season because their price point is still fairly affordable. And um, so we'll see how they fare. They gave kind of conservative guidance on their last earnings report. So they've already reported earnings. Uh, so we'll see if if that turns out to be too conservative and what the shoppers do over the next couple of months. But Skechers, cheap and in shoes. And I like shoes even in a recession because it's a cheap way to update your wardrobe if things are a little bit of tight on the money side. So Skechers SKX is the ticker for that one. Um, Okay. I'm kind of looking on here to see if there's any kind of interesting techie companies or not. There is JD.com. I've been watching that one pretty closely. I know you all know what I think about the Chinese stocks. I've never been a fan and I currently don't own any of them anymore in my own personal portfolio. But if you own an international fund that's global, you probably own some Chinese companies in that. I've discovered I do own some Chinese companies within my international funds, but it's really difficult to get rid of China out of most international funds, unless, you know, you're doing individual companies or that kind of thing or countries or that kind of thing, because it's just too big of a market. And so those stocks are going to be in there. But that being said, many of them have sold off now, especially on these fears with the Chinese consumer that I was just mentioning. So JD.com is on this list, five-year historical growth of 69.9. So that's pretty crazy right there. This year's growth, though, you can see what it's doing, the slowdown, only 13.2%. Still double digits, 
but that's down uh, pretty sharply off of what it has been doing and what it did during the pandemic, for instance. So JD.com, if you're not aware, is really like the Amazon of China. I know everybody thinks it's Alibaba, but JD.com is the one that focuses on the consumer and uh, you know, getting the goods to the consumer versus Alibaba that has a lot more business businesses on there. Um, but JD.com, you know, is bringing you the stuff to your house for the most part. So I like to look at it that way as, you know, that's the Amazon of China. And so to get it this cheap, it is definitely worth taking a look at. PE is just nine times peg ratio 0.2 price to sales 0.3 price to book 0.9. So all these are dirt cheap. That's because the stock was trading back to five-year lows before this recent like little mini bull run. Um, it does pay a dividend, it looks like. 2.3% is the dividend now because it's come down so much. Um, high of the year is like $67 and the low is around 24. It's trading now at 26. And over the two-year stack, it's down 65%. And five-year stack, it is up only 21%, S&P 500 up 57% during that time period. And I'm looking, it didn't quite get down to the pandemic lows yet, though. Um, oh, no, maybe it did. Yes, it's under the pandemic lows. But I'm looking back, and it's obviously not under the five-year lows yet because it would be in the red. So maybe somewhere to go before we really take out some of those technical levels of, you know, the five-year type of lows. That's usually what a lot of the technicians look for, but still pretty cheap here across the board. The only question is, will it go lower? And, uh, you know, when will the consumer rebound in China? Those are the unknowns right now. But that's what happens with the classic value stocks. A lot of them are going to be out of favor for various reasons. And this is one of them, the weakness in China. Um, okay, so let's see. I covered banks, home builders, retail, China. And there was one of the fintechs that made this list and so why not talk about it? It's not PayPal, but PagSeguro, which I used to own in the Zach's Value Investor portfolio. The ticker is PAGS. And this is a Brazilian payment company like PayPal or Square, but in Brazil. And so nobody likes it because it's in Brazil, <laughs> right? Like uh, anything overseas right now in these areas, nobody likes PayPal or Square either, but even less so of a foreign PayPal or Square. <laughs> so over the last five years, it's down 68% now. So it's completely collapsed kind of here. That's why I owned it in the value investor. But we actually did have to sell it recently because it was getting uh, close to our stop and the, the selling just was not abating. So two years, it's down 78%. One year, it's still down 42%, and it was just recently at one-year lows. It has bounced a little bit off of it, but not great. Um, I'm looking at over the last month, it's down 12%. 
So you can see it just, it hasn't been a fun place to be. Also, it's trading at $7.50 or so when I'm recording this. So this is a stock under $10. So it's going to be more volatile. It does trade with high volume. So there are a lot of traders in the stock. It trades on average volume of 4.1 million shares a day. So that's good if you want to be able to trade it. But it's bad because that means there's just going to be a lot of funny business going on in there for long-term investors. And it does have that smaller market cap, but it's not quite a small cap, I guess. Market cap of $2.4 billion now. So that would put it in the mid-cap range, but it's on the smaller side of the mid-caps. So it's still pretty small. Um, so yeah, Pexaguro, but it's dirt cheap. That's why I owned it. And it still has some of that growth component. So this year's expected earnings growth is 8.7%. So not quite at the 10%, you know, double digits. It's five-year growth is not good. It's only 0.55. But 8.7 is not too shabby for a stock that's this cheap. So it has a PE of 7.5 and a price-to-sales ratio of 0.8. And this is a type of company that, you know, will make more money as it grows its, you know, subscriber base. It needs more businesses to buy into the plan, into using its services, and that's where it's going to grow. Um, but maybe it hasn't reached the bottom yet either on some of these, and you might want to keep it on its on the watch list. But it, it definitely doesn't make it into the news except when it does have earnings that's one of the bad things about some foreign companies is that there's really not much going on. And especially with the PAG Seguro, you know, with the kind of volume that it's trading, a lot of traders messing around in the stock, like I mentioned. So keep that in mind. But if you're looking for one of the cheap digital payments companies, PAG Seguro does meet the bill, P-A-G-S. Um, also, you can actually screen on this screen. You can move around the um, individual components and get like the, you know, do the cheapest PE to the most expensive PE. So I thought I'd do that real quick just to kind of see. So a Brazilian bank has the lowest PE in this screen and it's 4.1%. So that's pretty cheap. And Skechers does have the highest on the PEs at 14.65. So as I as I suspected, 15 would have been the cutoff there. But what about in the PEG ratio? What's the lowest on that one? And it, it's going to be something different. So um I think this is an insurance company is at the lowest there for the peg and then JD.com right after it at 0.22 on the pegs. And then you get Pulte Group, one of the home builders at 0.24 on the pegs, because again, home builders, dirt cheap, Pulte, PHM is that ticker. It has a uh, PE of just 7.2. So really cheap on that. And then let's We'll just go down the list. Let's look at the price to sales. Who's the cheapest on that? It's at 0.18. Lifetime Brands is at 0.18. Ticker is LCUT. Um, so that is really cheap on the price of sales. You're almost getting them for free at some point. I'm getting them at 18 cents on the dollar. 
Uh, that's really cheap. So price to book, let's see what the cheapest is on that one. And it is a bank, a foreign bank as well, 0.29, but not from Brazil, from Germany, Deutsche Bank on that one, ticker DM. So, and then a bunch of banks, not surprisingly on price to book are all uh, the first couple of stocks there. So, or financials. So, Interesting lists, interesting to do these screens, especially right now. And it's kind of nice to see a list without the Zach's rank. I would like to see what the Zach's rank looks like on some of these. I know um, that it's not terrible on some companies like Toll Brothers. Uh, they actually report again in December for Toll. And we know that earnings are actually on the upswing with some of the banks. So I'm not expecting low Zach's ranks on like Wells Fargo. Skechers already reported and it was pretty decent. So I, I think that's a, you know, a fairly normal rank, probably a three on Skechers. But some of these others I'd have to look because we are in earnings season and it can change quickly during earnings season when those reports come in. So be sure to look for rising earnings here as you know, the economy is slowing. Any company that is still able to see, uh, you know, something good happening with the analysts saying, hey, I got too conservative. We have to raise here. That's a positive here going into the end of the year and into 2024. So definitely try to look for those with the rank. And if you have no access access to the rank, be sure to check out those bulls of the day on Zax.com. We do one every day, Monday through Friday. So you'll be able to see some stocks right there that are, you know, number one ranks and get a good idea of kind of which companies are in there, maybe get some stock ideas there. But let me recap the stock tickers we did talk about today. So there was Wells Fargo, ticker WFC, Toll Brothers, ticker TOL, Skechers, ticker SKX, JD.com, ticker J as in John, D as in David, and then Pag Seguro, which is in Brazil, ticker P-A-G-S. P as in Paul, A as in Adam, G as in George, S as in Sam. And then I mentioned Pulte, P-H-M, and Lifetime Brands, I think it was, L-C-U-T. And then Deutsche Bank was the last one, D-B, maybe I mentioned that one. Um, and... We talked about the small caps, but you can go check out some of the small cap indexes and um, those tickers. I think one of the main ones is just IWM for the Russell. And as always, I'm here to look around for the best value stocks. There are plenty of them because this classic value with growth screen had 54 stocks in it. That's a lot of stocks to kind of get a hold of. But, you know, there's a lot going on with value stocks right now, and it's a good time to be a value stock investor as long as you can kind of overcome your emotions, as I talked about the er at the beginning of the podcast, and, uh, you know, dollar cost to average, look around for deals, try to ignore some of the pain, buy good quality companies and or the indexes 
to get, uh, you know, a wide diverse holdings in various areas that are very cheap right now, including those small caps. So be sure to follow us and get us on Apple Podcasts. You can get us on Spotify. You can get us on Amazon Music, but be sure to get us somewhere and I'll see you again next week with some more value stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.